Well, I'm sorry for the late arrival. At quarter to six, I got to Felton Station. It's taken me three quarters of an hour to do two miles. Um, thankfully, things improved after that. Well, Mr. Toms has reminded us that this is the centenary year of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. We are thinking then in particular about that coming of the Lord. And so in this centenary year, we are thinking particularly about who he is and doing so from his teachings, who he said that he was. Now, having said that, our particular subject this evening, Christ himself does not say a great deal about. But we shall consider to start with how he was the son of David and then his acceptance and comments on that title. Advent. We think of the coming it's rather curious, isn't it, that just over a month ago, the season of Advent came to an end. And there is so much excitement as the countdown to Christmas comes. I suspect that's got more to do with festivities than spiritual interest for the most part. But... What are we thinking of? We're counting down to a day, to a date, which is completely uncertain, and actually to a year of his birth, which is uncertain. And in just the same way, as we look to his second coming, the date is unknown, and the year is unknown. And indeed, as soon as anybody starts to speak as to when it is going to be, we know from Scripture that it cannot be then, because it will be at a time that we think not. Well, that first coming, of course, had to take place. It took place in Bethlehem, in the city of David. As the angel appeared to Mary, he said, speaking of the son Jesus, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So there is no doubt at all that the one that we are thinking of is indeed the son of David. As 
Paul starts to write the epistle to the Romans, he hails him as such. He writes to those separated unto the gospel of God, he was separated unto the gospel of God, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. And it's very instructive, isn't it, as we look at the beginnings of the Gospel. John takes us back into eternity. There, the Word was with God and was God. Mark declares, The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But Matthew declares, This is the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And in so doing, he marks, as it were, a narrowing down as the scripture record is given to us prophetically. So bit by bit, there is a focusing down on who this one should be. Of course, right back at the beginning, there in the Garden of Eden, the coming of one who would bruise the serpent's head was foretold. Now sometimes, of course, these prophecies we can only really understand as we see their fulfilment. That, for example, is a good case. The Lord speaks to the serpent and says of the seed of the woman. Now we would just assume in the normal way of things that that was just another way of saying a man. But of course as we come to the birth and as Luke explains to us the fullness of what the angel says we see that it is not just a man but very specifically of the seed of the woman and not of the seed of the man. And of course that's very significant in many ways, not least for our subject tonight. Well, after the flood we have the first step of that narrowing down, if you like. Noah says at the end of chapter 9 Blessed be the Lord God of Shem and Canaan shall be his servant God shall enlarge Japheth and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem and Canaan shall be his servant Now this isn't of course particularly a, a prophecy to do with Christ but it is a narrowing down it is the beginnings of the indication from whom the Lord's people 
will come. And if we follow through the genealogy in chapter 11, it is the genealogy of Shem which ends with Abraham. Abraham then, of course. And as God speaks to Abraham, he says, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, that prophecy in terms of the nations of the earth and and, and the great nations did not get off to a very promising start, did it? Ishmael was born and then Isaac. And again, Ishmael is specifically excluded. God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. And as Paul, we've already mentioned Romans, and of course Paul there goes through in so many details these uh, uh, words to Abraham uh, and speaks there of the fact that it was to be in Isaac that his seed was to be called well again Isaac has those two children but again the line is separated out even before birth The Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And so, he appears in that wonderful way to Jacob, but only after that Blessing which Isaac has given. Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee and blessed be him that blesseth thee. And of course there in that final phrase is a direct uh, quote and reiteration of what God had said to Abraham as he set him apart. Well, of course, in terms of natural fruitfulness, Jacob is rather more encouraging. And there are those 12 sons, the 12 tribes. But on his deathbed, he blesses each of those tribes. And as we come to Judah, this is chapter 49 of Genesis, 
Judah. Thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion and as an old lion. Who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Binding his foal unto the vine, and his ass's colt unto the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine, and his teeth white with milk. But there a very specific prophecy until Shiloh come. The Lord, the Messiah, the one who would bring peace and the scepter would not depart from Judah. We know, don't we, that as Jesus was put to death. He had to be put to death by the Romans. The Jews were not allowed to do so. The scepter, the power, had departed from them and had been given to Rome. Well, Time goes on, and we come to the establishment of the kingdom of Israel. First king, of course, was Saul, a Benjamite. But Judah is he whom thy brethren shall praise. And so, as the line of Saul is rejected for his disobedience, Samuel is sent to the house of one Jesse. Where? A Bethlehemite. And he goes to anoint the sons, and of course, none of them are acceptable. They're all very acceptable to Samuel, but not to the Lord. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and with all of a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him. For this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. What a mark. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. It's so significant, isn't it? The very next verse. But the Spirit of the Lord 
departed from Saul. Very solemn to read those words. Now we know of course that David did not always do those things in accordance with the leadings of the Spirit. But that is not our concern this evening. Now, he, David, had many sons. He had many wives. Six were born in Hebron during the seven years and six months that he reigned there. And then in 1 Chronicles 3 and verse 5 we read, And these were born unto him in Jerusalem. Shimea, also called Shamua, and Shobab, and Nathan, and Solomon. Four of Bethshua, Bathsheba, the daughter of Amiel. <coughs> exactly who these sons are is uh, not really revealed. Whether Shimeo is indeed the first son that died and is unnamed in Samuel, I have my doubts. Also, Samuel teaches us that Solomon was the second son born to David and Bathsheba, the first surviving son. But I assume that he is kept last here because of that great significance. And he is, of course, the great son of David, the greatest uh, king in some ways, in terms of the peace of his reign, in terms of the extent of his rule, but not solemnly, despite his wonderful start in following the teachings and love of the Lord which his father David showed. Well, as we come to this subject of Christ, the son of David, we need, of course, to focus on 2 Samuel and chapter 7. One of the reasons why Solomon is hailed as such a great king was because of the splendours of the temple which he built. But actually, the building of the temple had, in so many ways, far more to do with David. It was he who, despite what we're going to note in this chapter, yet stored up the riches and provided them and instructed Solomon in how he was to do it. It was very much David's project, though he wasn't allowed to carry it through. But he says to Nathan that he wants to, to build this temple, and Nathan says... Go, do all that is in thine heart. But the Lord comes to him. And in 2 Samuel 7 verse 11, 
God says, we, we uh, come in in the middle there, and since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. Note how Paul says his seed, not his seeds as of many, but seed as of one. It's not the line that is stressed, but thy seed. I will establish his kingdom, not their kingdom, not your kingdom, his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words, and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? And this was yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord God. But thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while to come. And is this the manner of men, of man, O Lord God? Just in passing note that each time there it's Lord Jehovah, not the other way round, which is the more common way. Very striking comment. And what one nation, this is verse 23, and what one nation in the earth is like thy people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself, and to make him a name, and to do for you great things and terrible for thy land before thy people, which thou redeemest to thee from Egypt, from the nations, and from their gods. For thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people Israel to be a people unto thee for ever, and thou, Lord, art become their God. That's wonderful, isn't it? How David, he has this tremendous promise, but he sees too that this promise isn't just to his house, it's not to, to puff him up, but it's a promise of the Lord's people. If, the, if Israel is to have a king forever, after the line of David, then Israel too must continue forever. It cannot be any other way, can it? Uh, and so he points out the wonderful way that God has redeemed his people and bringing them out from Egypt. And now, O Lord God, Jehovah God this time, the word that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as thou hast said and let thy name be magnified forever, saying the Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. 
and let the house of thy servant David be established before thee. For thou, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, hast revealed to thy servant, saying, I will build thee an house. Therefore hath thy servant found in his heart to pray this prayer unto thee. And now, O Lord God, thou art that God, and thy words be true, and thou hast promised this goodness unto thy servant. Therefore now let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may continue forever before thee. For thou, O Lord God, hast spoken it. And with thy blessing, let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. Very, very strong and striking words. And a wonderful prayer. His emphasizing, his understanding of that which shall come to pass. Well, of course, things didn't come to pass in perhaps quite the way that David took those things to be. Very solemnly. As we come to the end of David's reign, of Solomon's reign, we find that the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice and commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. And so God's judgment falls. I will surely rend the kingdom from thee and will give it to thy servant. Notwithstanding, in thy days I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Howbeit I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for David my servant's sake and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. So we know, of course, that the kingdom was divided, and through his hot headedness and greed, the Lord worked it that Rehoboam was left with that tiny rump, one tribe state, slightly more than that, really, but there the tribe of Judah, the kingdom of Judah centred around Jerusalem and the rest the northern kingdom of Israel but God's faithfulness continued and we see that right through until we come very solemnly to the book of Jeremiah and there in chapter 36 as uh, he angers the Lord and goes against all that he has said, we find having burnt the roll of the word of God which Jeremiah had given him. In verse 29 of Jeremiah 36, 
And thou shalt say to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Thus saith the Lord, Thou hast burned this roll, saying, Why hast thou written therein? Saying, The king of Babylon shall certainly come and destroy this land, and shall cause to cease from thence men and beasts. Therefore thus saith the Lord of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, He shall have none to sit upon the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out in the day to the heat, and in the night to the frost. And I will punish him and his seed and his servants for their iniquity. And I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the men of Judah all the evil that I have pronounced against them. But they hearkened not. Now this of course leaves us with a concern. God has promised that there will be one from the line of David on the throne. And here he promises that there will not be one from that royal line. And of course in the meantime we have many prophecies from Isaiah. Speaking about one that shall come. These are so well known Chapter 11, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Well, these words are often read, aren't they, as we think of that coming of Jesus Christ, his birth in Bethlehem. But Isaiah carries on. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the kid. We don't read of that happening yet. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And the little child shall lead them. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea. And just in case we might think well. Obviously we've moved on, we've readjusted. And in that day, and in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. And he goes on, and he gives another great set of descriptions, which have also not happened yet. So clearly, although it speaks in one sense of that first coming, Christ was of the uh, stem of Jesse. He is the branch. Yet these things speak again of his second coming. And as we come to him speaking of the rod, 
We are speaking of his ruling, aren't we? Of his judging. And then, and in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. Jesus. Jehovah is my salvation. Jehovah saves. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. And he also has become my salvation. Uh, And so it goes on in that, that wonderful little chapter. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Now, again, we need to mark, don't we, these two, as it were, conflicting promises. That there will always be one on the throne of David and that there will not be one from the royal line of David. Turn back a few chapters to chapter 7. God says to Ahaz, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, that's again quoted so often, isn't it? It's quoted, of course, in the New Testament, speaking of Mary. And, of course, there are those that get very excited and say, well, a virgin here doesn't necessarily mean a virgin. It doesn't mean that the one who is born is born of a virgin. And, clearly, as originally given, that was true. Because, otherwise, if we go on in this prophecy, it's of no greater relevance than if I were to say that by the year 2100, Queen Elizabeth II will have died. It's fairly obvious that that will have happened, assuming we get to that year. 800 years, it's very obvious that both of the kings that are attacking Israel, uh, that are attacking Judah, sorry, will have died. But it's equally obvious that a son is going to be born of a woman. So that's a redundant statement, unless it has a far more wonderful application to come. And of course, we see that so remarkably, don't we? And as we go through, Matthew gives us the royal line from which Joseph is descended. He works through from Abraham to David. And then we read that David, the king, begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. And Solomon begat Reboam, etc. Until we come. That Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called 
the Christ. So following down the royal line, although they're not on the throne from Jaconius and Zerubbabel, the line continues. And Joseph is of that line, which is, of course, why he has to go with Mary to the town of Bethlehem to be enrolled. The Lord working these things after the counsel of his own will. Caesar Augustus knows nothing of these things, but he's moved by God at that exact time to set this up. But of course, as we come to Luke, we have another genealogy. Being as was supposed, the son of Joseph. But not actually the son of Joseph, because the son of God. But here we have the line really of Mary, which was of Hilly. The son of does not actually appear. Which was of Mathat, which was of Levi. And so we go on back to Nathan, which was the son of David, which was the son of Jesse. Back to Adam, which was the son of God. So his mother too was of the royal lineage. And he is the one, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, that sign of the birth of a baby, Emmanuel, is indeed replicated in the following chapter with the birth of Meleshal al-Hashbaz. And again, Emmanuel, before he, he is weaned, the land will be forsaken of its kings. Meshal al-Hashbaz, before the child shall have knowledge to cry, my father and my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria shall be taken away before the king of Assyria. So we have a repeated sign to emphasize the shortness of the time. And of course the following chapter speaks again in a wonderful way of the coming of the Lord. Nevertheless the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. Quoted as Christ moves from Nazareth to Capernaum by the sea coast, there of the Sea of Galilee. And what does he say? Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. 
the zeal of the Lord of hosts will confirm this, will perform this. So that's the marking out, if you like, of who Jesus was to be. This was recognised during his lifetime. And it's significant that every time he accepts those comments. The first time is, Matthew tells us, when two blind men called out. This is a previous occasion to the one that we read tonight, one of whom, of course, was Bartimaeus. We know from the other Gospels. But they call out to him. Then in chapter 12, uh, the, um, we, we find that then was brought to him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I be Elzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Now that's quite remarkable, isn't it? He's taken what they've said and he's accepted this title of the son of David and immediately speaks of a kingdom. His kingdom. The kingdom of God. I cast them out by the spirit of God. Because the kingdom of God is come unto you. And he goes on to say, doesn't he, later on in that chapter... Verse 42, the queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment of this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. One greater than this greatest of David's kings. He's also started that chapter Matthew records at the beginning of that chapter would be a better way of putting it that incident when the disciples are taking the corn and eating it as they go through they're rubbing it in their hands on the Sabbath day and David says uh, and Jesus says have you not read what David did when he was unhungered and they that were with him how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread which was not lawful for him to eat 
Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I would have mercy and not sacrifice. Ye would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Now, we need to realise that the Jews recognised that this title of the Lord of the son of David was really synonymous with saying that this one was the Christ the Messiah but of course these people are concerned with tricking as it were and attacking Jesus he calls them verse 34 a generation of vipers How can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so we come to the chapters that we read together, chapters 20 and 21. I've already mentioned the previous uh, uh, blind men crying out, And they cry out in this remarkable way. And this cry is taken up as they come into Jerusalem, fulfilling what Joel has said. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass and a colt, the foal of an ass. And they cry, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when the uh, chief priests challenge this, Jesus says, Have ye never read, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise? This is true worship, says Jesus. And it's coming from them. Uh, And he says elsewhere, doesn't he, that if these should hold their peace, even the very stones would cry out. Amazing words. And then, of course, they challenge him with his authority. By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And when Jesus speaks to them of John, of course, they say, well, we could possibly answer. Really, we can't comment on that. Not not because we don't know, but we refuse to. Because of the, the difficulties that it would lend them in. And so Jesus says, they're not saying, we can't tell, we don't know. They're saying, we cannot speak to you what authority it is. And so Jesus says, neither do I. You won't, I won't. Neither tell I you. By what authority I do these things. But he is speaking very clearly that he has an authority. That he has a position. Then we come 
to his great question, really following on from that, the end of the following chapter. Jesus asks them, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. Now this emphasises what I said just now, that the two things were really exactly the, the, the same. By, saying, by calling Jesus the son of David, people were hailing him as the Messiah, the Christ. He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord? Saying, and he quotes here Psalm 110, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. That rod which we've seen in Isaiah, here again, and of course in the second psalm, in a, where it's very clearly referring to the anointed. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. And then, wonderful uh, comment, the Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. How can that be true of, uh, uh, of David, says God, says Jesus. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word. Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. You know, on the face of it, that might seem to be implying that Jesus is saying that he isn't. But rather, this is why I referred to that passage earlier on with John the Baptist. He's trying to get them to articulate their understanding of what this is and what he is and who he is and he's and of course they cannot do that because they are committed to destroying him the whole chapter uh, and indeed so much of the previous chapters has been setting up their, their plots and schemes to catch him out in his talk and to lead him on into uh, so that they will be able to lay hold of him and accuse him before the Romans or before the Jews or before the people or whatever. And they weren't able to answer him a word. They're speechless. They're tongue-tied. And the proof that Jesus isn't saying that this isn't true of him is just... A few moments later, he speaks in verse 8 of chapter 23. But be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. Now he's speaking to the disciples and to the multitude. Even Christ. He is your master. 
and call no man your father upon earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. So Christ very clearly identifies himself here as their master, as the Christ. And of course, as those words are said on various occasions, he hails them and indeed comments on the fact that they are a revelation from his father. There are, of course, those words from Psalm 110 commented on in many ways. But as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, he speaks of Christ being risen from the dead and making all things alive. And he says, Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet and the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death the final acceptance of this term is of course right at the very close of God's word there in Revelation chapter 22 John hears Jesus say in verse 16 I, Jesus have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star the root and offspring of David. One of the old hymns in Wells says that um, we view with, with wonder and solemn joy his David's root and offspring too. What a wonderful thing. And the brighter morning star. And he goes on, doesn't he? The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of this prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy... God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
be with you all. Amen. Amen. Now, that would, of course, be a, a most significant way to end. But in a sense, and I'm not going to go into this, but we can't leave this without thinking. He's speaking of his coming. And in Zechariah, in chapter 12, indeed, Zechariah chapter 12, right through to 14, we have it marked out so clearly that he is of the seed of David. I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. But who is this? And he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David. And the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord before them. And as already said, the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Israel, of Jerusalem, do not magnify themselves against Judah. And in that day shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And they will say, it is my people. They shall say, the Lord is my God. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem, and so on and so forth. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And in that day there shall be one Lord, and his name one. He shall be on the throne of David to order it and to establish it with justice and with power from henceforth even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amen. Amen.